This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. And by Tidewater Heating and Air Conditioning, servicing all major brands with highly trained technicians who are the best the industry has to offer, serving Wilmington and surrounding communities for more than 40 years. Learn more at TidewaterAC.com. And by Cape Fear Pharmacy, a local independent pharmacy providing health care and compounding services customized to meet our patients' needs. Visit CapeFearPharmacy.com today and let us take care of you. There may be no more genuine or more pure bond than the one forged between a person and their dog. It's a bond of unspoken loyalty and devotion, a connection that's not even guaranteed between each of us as people. Put simply, dogs are our companions, best friends, and they can even be our protectors. And all of these traits were certainly true of Boss, the undauntingly loyal canine of Captain William A. Ellerbrock. The inseparable pair lived in Wilmington more than 140 years ago. But their timeless intertwined story is one defined by heroism and marked by tragedy. Born in Hamburg, Germany in March 1856, Ellerbrock had left his parents behind to come to America for all the opportunity that it provided a young man. He had settled in Wilmington by the early 1870s and taken up work for his uncle on the steamer William Nice, on which he would eventually serve as captain by 1880. By all accounts, The 24-year-old was established and well-liked in the community, and he was perhaps best known for his loyal other half. History hasn't remembered much about Boss, other than the devoted place that he or she held at Ellerbrock's side. And that's where Boss was, for the fateful moment that would bind them together forever in history. Seemingly without a second thought, On the night of April 11, 1880, Captain Ellerbrock raced into an inferno that had developed in downtown Wilmington in an effort to save anyone and anything he could. Before he went in the building, he placed Boss in the care of an onlooker with the promise that they not let his four-legged friend go. For many tense minutes, Ellerbrock and others raced in and out of the blaze, trying to salvage what they could from the quickly advancing flames. But as each one of the volunteers made their way out to safety one final time, Ellerbrock was not among them. Soon, cries for help could be heard coming from deep inside the searing fire. He was trapped. At this point, everyone outside the building knew that a rescue effort would be futile so his screams went unanswered, except by Boss. Likely hearing its owner's cries for help, Boss broke free of his handler and ran straight into danger to try and do what those watching could not. 
neither Ellerbrock nor Boss would leave the building that night. And the next morning, as crews began to sift through the ruins, they were found together, side by side, until the end. In his greatest time of need, Ellerbrock's loyal companion had sacrificed itself to try and save its owner. As you can probably tell, this story is not one with a happy ending. But that doesn't mean that the eternal tale of Ellerbrock and Boss is a wholly sad one either. We all want unwavering companionship in this life, and Ellerbrock had found his in Boss, who, as history would remember, was faithful unto death. This is Cape Fear Unearthed, the podcast exploring the persisting legends, historical oddities, and landmark stories of southeastern North Carolina. As always, I'm your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter with the Star News here in Wilmington. This week marks our first episode of 2021, and for the occasion, we're dipping back into a story that we first mentioned in the opening episodes of this podcast in 2018, which was nearly three years ago. The tragically poignant tale of Captain Ellerbrock and Boss the Dog is one of the most famous stories in this region's canon, and one that I wanted to pay more attention to than we previously did. And there was no better time to do it than in connection with the launch of a new book by one of Cape Fear Unearth's legacy guests, Chris E. Fonville Jr. This month, Chris published his long-awaited new book titled Curious Tales from Old Wilmington and the Lower Cape Fear. In his book, he mines five of the region's most often told stories for the fact and the fiction, a mission that has always been at the heart of this podcast. The deadly blaze that claimed Ellerbrock and Boss is one of those stories that Chris explores, sharing the legend that has lasted for years, and then presenting his own research into what really happened. In this episode, Chris is going to join us to help tell the full scope of Ellerbrock's story, which is one of such staggering heroism that it inspired the Wilmington Fire Department to honor his legacy with the William A. Ellerbrock Award, given to citizens who display selfless acts of bravery and courage. We'll also talk with Chris about his book and what inspired this collection of some of the region's greatest historic hits. So sit back and settle in for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed as we revisit the story of Captain Ellerbrock and Boss, one of the curious tales from Old Wilmington and the Lower Cape Fear. Joining me now to help tell the story of Captain Ellerbrock and his dog boss is one of our frequent guests, one of our favorite guests, Chris E. Fonville Jr., 
who you'll remember as a local historian, a professor emeritus at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and the author of the new book, Curious Tales from Old Wilmington and the Lower Cape Fear. Chris, thanks for being here. Hunter, it's always a pleasure. I always enjoy being with you. So we are actually here having uh, what has been described to us as a fireside chat. You will hear the logs crackling in the background. But we're here to talk about two things today. We're here to talk about Ellerbrock, which is a story that we touched on in our first season. But we're going to dig into a little bit more today because it's one of the chapters in your new book. And so we're going to talk about that story. And then I'm going to quiz you about your book and and why you decided to write this one, uh, which I find incredibly fascinating. And it's right up this podcast's alley. So we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, But let's start with Ellerbrock. This is a story I think a lot of people know. It's one of the ones that's most frequently told in the area. It's one that is really indicative of the, the little story, the little history that takes hold in this area and really persists. One, because it's a tragic tale of heroism, but it's also got a great grave at Oakdale Cemetery. So when was the first time you heard about Ellerbrock? I like to say that it's probably Wilmington's most famous dog story. Oh, yeah. And of course, everyone loves a good story about pets and their relationship with their owners. And as the adage says, you know, uh, a man's best friend is his dog. And this is a a perfect revelation of that. I probably first read the story in Lewis T. Moore's Stories Old and New of the Cape Fear Region, which was published in 1956. And a basis for this show. A basis for my book and mm-hmm. much of what I taught. Oh, yeah. His daughter was my kindergarten teacher. Oh, nice. It all connects here. Peggy Moore right? Purdue. Yeah. It does. And uh, so I probably read it there. And um, but but I've, I've heard the story my entire life. Mm-hmm. As I say in the introduction, those of us who have been fortunate enough to have been born and raised in Wilmington, uh, these stories that I include in Curious Tales are just a part of our cultural heritage. They have been with us for generations. So I've probably always been aware of the story, but not the details of the story. Well, and that's the purpose of the book. The kind of the subtitle of the book is The Truth Behind the Legends, which as anyone who's listened to this show for a while knows, that's kind of what we do on the show, the the fact and the fiction together. And so well, let's talk we a little bit about it. peel away the layers. Exactly. To, to well, what that's what really a, happened. a lot of that, a lot of these stories are really perfect for that because there's a lot of layers in how they play into the context of the whole region. So let's let's talk a little bit about the story. So at its basis, it's about a captain, uh, Captain John Ellerbrock, or William, William Ellerbrock, William sorry. Ellerbrock. <laughs> William Ellerbrock. And uh, he's, uh, he, he works on a tugboat on the Cape Fear River. And in 1880, there's a fire. So why does this tugboat captain go to a fire with his dog? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. That's one of the mysteries uh, of the history of this story. I don't know what placed him at that fire. Ellerbrock had immigrated to Wilmington in 1872 or 1873. But, you know, there was a very large German community in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. Part of what emerges from this tale is the... the uh, the diversity in Wilmington, the the national diversity, the ethnic diversity, um, to say nothing of the the humanity, our, our humanity that comes out in this story yeah. that also includes the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what put him at that site at that particular moment. Yes, he was the master and captain of a tugboat called the William Nyes on the Cape Fear River. 
he may have gone down to the to the river because this this is after midnight on April eleventh, eighteen eighty. He may have heard about the fire when he was at his home way up on Princess Street. He lived in the six hundred block of Princess Street. Lived with his uncle, whose name was Henry Limmerman, who was also a German immigrant. Good hike home from work. It's seven blocks. Yeah. So how did he hear about this fire? But he may have gone down to the Cape Fear River to get on the tugboat in case um, he could be of some assistance in that way. I, I, I don't know. Was there something that needed to be towed away from the site by the mm-hmm. tugboat? Um, but when he got to the, to the wharves and discovered that, no, he would not be needed, then he went up to the, uh, the site of the fire, which was only a block away from the Kafer River, at Front and Dock Streets, to see if he could be at some assistance there. Now, more recent reports suggest that he was a member of the Howard Relief Fire Company, uh, which was comprised principally of Germans and German immigrants to Wilmington. I've not been able to substantiate that. Either way, he was not there as a volunteer fireman. He was there as a volunteer salvager to help with the rescuing of goods from a hardware store that had caught fire. So what I'm hearing is uh, Captain Ellerbrock was a good Samaritan, if nothing else, a a kind of a serviceman at heart, if you would say. Just to place people in the, the context of Wilmington to give them a little sense of location, this building that does catch fire, or this area, this block, is the uh, the block of uh, Dock and Front, the intersection of Dock and Front, where the Routabush building is today, which houses Husk, uh, Yosaki, and Draymond Morsel. And so that building was built on the 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 remains, I guess, or the the spot where this building burned down on that evening. That's right. The the, the building that was built after 1814, because ironically, the buildings that were there. Uh, before B.H.J. Aarons constructed his building, burned in a fire in 1814. Uh, it was known as Horde's Corner. And uh, then B.H.J. Aarons and Henry Har owned the building that would have been on the northeast corner of Front and Dock Streets. The fire originated in an ice house, you know, where frozen stuff from the north was imported and sold to the public and to um, retailers. Uh, but at this particular point in time, it was uh, used as storage for hay by a guy named Preston Cumming. So you can see how the fire would have gotten going. But what, st- what was the origin of, of the fire? Investigators were able to determine that. But the fire started in an ice house, spread to the northeast corner section, uh, which was a grocery store uh, operated by Antonio Rush, uh, who was a Portuguese immigrant, and living in uh, an apartment above them was Louis Solomon and his wife. They were German. And then the fire spread from those two buildings uh, northward to uh, George Peck's hardware store. That's where uh, most of the action took place. So Captain Ellerbrock, he somehow gets to this fire. He's trying to provide some assistance maybe on the water. It doesn't work or he might not be necessary, so he goes to the site. He, he asks someone on the street, who I assume is just watching this, to take care of his boss, to take care <laughs> of his dog boss. Yes. And they, he, he runs in, it sounds like. He runs yeah. in to help save lives. Is, is that kind of what is happening? Yeah. Uh, let me back up just for a moment. I, I want to tell you how the fire was actually discovered. Yeah, yeah. It was actually discovered by two African-American barbers mm-hmm. uh, who owned, uh, Charles Ward owned a barbershop only about a block away. Yeah. 
and his uh, barber, uh, James Churchill, um, they closed up shop after midnight. I don't know what a barber shop was doing until open until after midnight. That's a late haircut. They were actually, they closed up shop on their way home, walking down South Front Street, when they heard a noise that they thought was wind. And it was then that they heard this rumbling in the building and then forced open a door to see, as they said, a sheet of seething flames. And apparently, these two uh, uh, African-Americans knew that Louis Solomon and his family lived above uh, Russia's grocery store, and they were banging on the doors and windows to alert them to the growing fire. So thanks to these black barbers, Louis Solomon, his wife Bertha, and their three children were saved. So I was talking about the humanity of this story. Even though this was the segregated South, that these black barbers at a time of great tribulation and trial for these uh, for these German immigrants saved their lives. Another uh, example of good Samaritans and in a time where they might not have been able to count on other people to that, do the same. That's the underlying theme to this whole story is good Samaritans. Mm-hmm. So when the fire spread and the alarm went out, which was probably given by telephone, by the way. The first telephones in Wilmington and in North Carolina uh, were put in in, in 1878. So two years two later, years. telephones would have been fairly commonplace. That was one thing I discovered. I didn't know that phones were you know that early. Yeah. So the alarm was probably phoned in, then bells clanged. The Wilmington Hook and Ladder Company, for sure, that was just three blocks away at 4th and Dock Streets, responded. Probably other firefighting units responded too. And then George Peck learned of the fire. He lived up on South 3rd Street. He rushed down to his hardware store, which was now ablaze, and instinctively ran into the store to try and salvage as much of his stock as he possibly could. As it turns out, he had almost half a million dollars in today's money in all kinds of hardware stuff, but also uh, cans of uh, gunpowder, and bullet cartridges. So this was, you know, hazardous work, very dangerous yeah. work. And people joined in in the rescue effort. People who were out and about on the street uh, after midnight. And again, I don't know why there were so many people out and about in yeah. downtown Wilmington after midnight, but they jumped in to help with the rescue operation. Firemen jumped in to help. So there were about a dozen or more people who were running in and out of George Peck's hardware store to help him rescue as much of his stock as they possibly could. And that's what Ellerbrock was doing. What brought Ellerbrock to that uh, site at that particular moment, that I was not able to answer. But he was one of the good Samaritans who was helping George Peck salvage as much of his stock as they possibly could. And then outside, his dog, Boss, is waiting patiently, well, maybe not patiently as the story goes, but he he's waiting for, uh, Ellerbrock is coming in and out, and for some reason, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, the story goes that he basically just doesn't come out one time. As as the effort is kind of winding down, he he just doesn't come out one final time. Well, you, you can imagine the scene uh, as the, the building catches fire and the fire spreads, uh, then tremendous pressure is put on the ceiling joists, on the walls, uh, the upper brick portion of the Aaron's building to the south falls on top of George Peck's uh, roof. So there's just tremendous pressure, and people who were involved in the uh, salvage operation heard the building creak and moan, and then it started to crumble. So beams start falling down. 
counters are overturned. And simultaneously, the salvagers make kind of a mad dash to escape. And we have several stories about people who not only escaped, but actually went back into the building to save people who were kind of trapped. So initially, it was believed that there were several people who were probably trapped inside the building and uh, probably perished. That turned out not to be the case. So what's the story? Well, Boss was William Ellerbrock's constant companion. They were always together. I don't know when Ellerbrock uh, got Boss. I don't know Boss's gender or uh, the, the species yeah, of dog. Breed, yeah. I, I don't know. One uh, journalist at the time said that Boss was a very large animal and a very intelligent one. That's the only mention of Boss I have found. So the story is, the legend is that when Ellerbrock joined in on the salvage operation, he asked someone out on the street who was just observing, yeah. you know, would you hold on to my dog? Yeah. And uh, then when the building started to collapse, people heard Ellerbrock calling for help. And of course, Boss would have heard Ellerbrock calling for help too. Especially, yeah. And broke away from his keeper, rushed into the building, and then that was it. Then the building was ablaze and no one, it was too hot for anyone else to go into the building. But, you know, there was a lot of confusion in the dark shadows, uh, the fire and uh, the, the firefighters. And firefighting is a lot different in 1880 than it is today. I mean, they have a lot less to work with. And so at a certain point, you know, you have to step back. I mean, you don't have as many resources. And so. Well, I, you know, I don't know. Were they fighting the fire using uh, cisterns in the area? Were they pumping water up from the Cape Fear River? I, I don't know that. You think that maybe him working on a tugboat, maybe that would have been his job. Right. That, yeah. That's a, a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, would the tugboat have had some kind of apparatus to help fight fires that were fairly close to the river? So that that's an interesting point. But finally, um, you know, people escaped. Uh, the firefighters are trying to douse the building as, as best as they can. The north wall of Peck's building falls in on a confectionery store owned by a guy named H.D. Gilbert. And as I say, you know, while they're dousing that building... They're ruining cakes and cookies and <laughs> quite the bakery, all kind of stuff. And it was a bad day for Sweet Tooth Wilmingtonians. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bad day for that and hardware. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, but um, the firefighters did not know that there was still someone inside until Eller Brock's uncle, Henry Limmerman, showed up about mid-morning. And when he awoke in his home, Eller Brock did not show up at the breakfast table, which was his usual practice. So Limmerman checked his bedroom. He wasn't there. When he still hadn't shown up uh, a little while later, Limmerman thought, well, maybe he's down on the river. So he walked down there. Couldn't find him on the William Nyes. Couldn't find him along the wharves. Of course, by then, the fire was the talk of the town. And Limmerman thought, well, maybe Eller Brock was involved in some way with the fire. And so he walked up the block from the river, asked, and no one had seen Ellerbrock. No one uh, knew of his whereabouts. And Limmerman, by then, was growing very concerned and asked the firefighters, would you, in scouring the remnants of the building, look for Ellerbrock? And they said, within moments, uh, his remains were found about eight or ten feet from the door. And close by him were the remains of Boss. Yeah. So something likely fell on him, something pinned him down, do we know? 
We do know because the Wilmington Hook and Ladder uh, Fire Company took his remains up to Hook and Ladder uh, Hall, which was at 4th and Dock Streets. And Hook and Ladder, uh, would that have been a firefighting it division? It was a firefighting company. Yeah, okay. And there were many firefighting companies. Mm-hmm. They were segregated. Yeah. But at the times of fire, they became integrated fire mm-hmm. fighting units. So the umbrella unit was the Wilmington Fire Department. But under that umbrella was the C.M. Stedman Bucket Company and the Howard Relief Firefighting Company and the Hook and Ladder Company Number 1. And so they took his remains up to Hook and Ladder Hall and the coroner uh, held an inquest and determined that, in fact, he had died from a from a falling beam, that yeah. it was not asphyxiation, he had not burned. So that was a more humane way to go. Yeah, he likely died. The the screaming that people may have heard from him is it was likely him being injured instead of burning. Or right, he like was that. pinned under something yeah. and could not escape. Yeah, and then boss ran in. And of course, the legend is that when they found it, well, that's not a legend. This is true that when they found Ellerbrock, they found boss close by with a uh, uh, some cloth from Ellerbrock's coat implying that Boss had tried his best to drag or pull Ellerbrock out of the burning building and his coat had torn, then Boss decided to share Ellerbrock's fate. Mm-hmm. He was the devoted friend yeah. and companion. Till the end, as, as Faithful his... Faithful unto death. Yep, as, as the grave at Oakdale says. And, you know, the, the, the firefighter firefighting community in Wilmington erected that monument to Ellerbrock and to Boss at Oakdale Cemetery, where they are buried together. The The one side of it uh, is dedicated to Ellerbrock, and the other has a uh, kind of curled-up sleeping dog, which is really poignant when you go out and look at, at that at Oakdale Cemetery. It's one of the most visited graves in mm-hmm. Oakdale Cemetery. Absolutely. And he must have been, Ellerbrock must have been very well respected and well thought of. He certainly was by the Christian Association at St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Church at 6th and Market Streets. The funeral was held less than 24 hours after Ellerbrock's death. Yeah, they didn't wait. They did uh, not in those wait. Days. No, they did not wait. As we see in another one of the stories that you write about with Rose Greenhow, you know, they find her, they, they prepare her, and then she's buried very quickly. Well, so. w- one thing that, that comes to light is that um, in one of the stories I tell about Samuel Jocelyn being buried alive is that embalming was a very new process. It didn't yeah. come into common practice in the, in the United States until after the Civil War, yeah. and it was still a very expensive process. So I don't know whether or not uh, Ellerbrock was involved, but he was certainly well-respected in the church. There was a public tribute to him. The story is that uh, Ellerbrock and Boss were buried together. They are buried yeah. together. Whether or not they're buried, uh, uh, Boss was buried in the casket yeah. of Ellerbrock or in a separate box and placed into the grave, that's a little ambiguous. But certainly they were buried together. They're marked together right. a, a, in Oakdale. And then within uh, a couple of months, Christian Association at St. Paul's uh, decided to erect a, a monument mm-hmm. to Ellerbrock and to his devoted, faithful companion that had sacrificed his life for his best friend. And uh, it took him about a year, but uh, through public subscription, uh, the Wilmington Hook and Ladder uh, Fire Company 
uh, gave uh, $50, which is about $1,300 in today's money. And through public s- a subscription, uh, they came up with enough money by the summer of 1881 that they were able to contract contract with John Maunder of the Wilmington Marble Works to erect this beautiful uh, Italian marble obelisk that sat on three tier. And the front side, of course, is a tribute to William Ellerbrock, the the German immigrant Wilmingtonian. And on the backside, as you said, there is a relief of a, a sleeping dog mm-hmm. and above it the words, faithful unto death. Again, it's very poignant. It, you're right. It's one of the ones that whenever you, you know, you've led tours at Oakdale, I've led a tour at Oakdale. It's the one people want to hear. It's, it's, it, it's very much one that is permeated over time. Thanks to recitations like uh, the one by Lewis T. Moore um, and in this book and and. Was there anything that you found in digging into the truth behind it that surprised you that kind of changed the story that you have known for so many years? Well, as, as I said, uh, just the uh, the humanity that, you know, at times of crises and trial and tribulation, that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your race. We all come together whether it be war or a fire or whatever. I mean, here, two African-American barbers who saved the lives of these of this German family. And um, when George Peck, who was a native-born Wilmingtonian, uh, and his, his store catches fire, uh, you've got all kinds of people. They're out and about on the street, residences and firefighters who rush in to try and uh, and help him. They're good Samaritans yeah. everywhere. It could have been a much more tragic story. I mean, it's already an incredibly tragic story in, in how it unfolded, but... Uh, but a, a very poignant one. Exactly. Very touching one. But uh, a huge fire in the middle of the night in 1880, Wilmington, that spread quickly. I mean, there could have been far more casualties, but it you know the community kind of rallied. But it is defined by this story of, of Captain Ellerbrock and Boss. And uh, people love that story. And I think even though it does have a tragic ending, I think you're right that the poignancy of it, the the faithfulness of it, the, yes. the you know, Ellerbrock didn't die alone. He died with his best friend. And yes. so I think that's why it resonates with so many people. Now, in this book, you have included not only that story, but a, a few that people will know from this show, the uh, Confederate spy Rose Greenhow, a story that you and I did about the Fanny and the Jenny and the uh, legend of the uh, jewel-encrusted sword that was meant for Robert E. Lee during the Civil War. As you previously mentioned, the uh, story of Samuel Jocelyn, which was the first episode of this podcast that you were the guest on. Oh, that's right. It was so, the very first. It was. Fear on Earth it podcast. was the very first. And uh, it's, it's kind of full circle that you've now written this and we're talking about it. I'm curious, why did you write this book? Because you, you, you have several books that you've written. But why did you want to do kind of a compilation of some of these greatest hits? Well, I, I grew up hearing these stories. I attended St. James Episcopal Church. A lot of old Wilmington families attended St. James. And so I, I'd heard these stories since I was a, a, a child, and particularly the Samuel Johnson story, because he was buried That's in the graveyard directly behind the church. So I've, I've, even though most of my articles and books have been on the history of the Civil War in the Lower Cave here, uh, I've always mulled around in my head doing a book on some of these legends and getting to the truth of them. Several of these stories I wrote as articles, various magazines, mm-hmm. as you know. And I, and I'll be honest with you, I think your podcast, Cape Fear Unearthed, 
and your enthusiasm and excitement about local history and what you do inspired me <laughs> to publish these stories well, as well. Well, that makes me feel good. Well, uh, it made me feel good, too. <laughs> and, and, and In fact, you wrote a blurb for the I cover did. of the book. I will say you. that, yes, on the back of this book, I did get the opportunity to, uh, you sent me it early, and I got to write my first ever blurb for a book. So you got to um, read the blurb. It's oh, a great exactly. I, Okay, I'll read it. It says, uh, and I mean every word. It is. It says, Curious Tales is an engrossing, insightful account of the Cape Fear's hallmark stories told from an inspired new perspective, as only Chris Vonville can. Where the legends end, he keeps digging to find the truth buried under generations of ever-changing recitation. In this captivating book, Fonville's enthusiasm to decipher fact from fiction comes through on every page, guiding the reader to new revelations about old favorites. And that's exactly what I hoped the mission of my show is, and you've been such a big help for that. And so... I mean it. That's what this that's what this book is. It, it looks at these stories that you may have heard through the podcast or reading and some other things, and it digs a little deeper into them. Well, you might have added your name to that. Too. Yeah, <laughs> only Chris Fallman can, as Hunter Ingram well, thank you. has as well. That. And it's, we're we're trying to keep history uh, of the lower Cape Wilmington, the lower Cape Fear alive. Well, as as you and I have discussed before on the show, a big inspiration for me in in doing the show was lewis t moore's stories of uh, stories old and new of the cape fear region i think that's the title and mm-hmm. i think it sits on it's a responsibility that sits on the shoulders of people who are doing it today to make compilations like that whether it be a book whether it be a podcast to have those stories continue to be told because if they're not you know had lewis t moore not written some of those down we might not be talking about them today. they'd be gone yeah they'd, they'd be lost mm-hmm. so he was uh, a collector yeah. of these stories yeah. that date back, in some cases, to colonial times. Yeah. And, of course, a great storyteller. By his own admission, he wasn't a professional historian. None of exactly. those stories are annotated. Yeah, there's some right. in there that you we have on this show, you know, picked apart a little bit. Right. Um, and but you so start with Lewis T. Moore. Yeah. Right? I think there's value in doing both, and that's what your book is doing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but... It is the the legend and the truth. And what is the slogan that you always say uh, that people well, know? Well, I was fond of telling my students, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Historians should be good storytellers when they're telling the story of yeah. us. But in the case of this book, I turned the adage on its head. Never let a good story get in the way of the truth, which can be much more interesting and intriguing. Absolutely. So I just, I wanted to dig. I wanted for all of these stories, there's an element of truth. Something gave birth to all of these stories. Something nurtured these stories. These stories have become a part of our local folklore. They're important to us. Uh, they're part of our tradition. They're part of our culture. They're a, a part of what makes us a community. But I, I did. I wanted to know what gave birth to these stories. I wanted to know as much as I could, what really happened. I wanted to dig until I got to the true story. Now, you can only, a historian can only go with what they've got. So these stories are based on the evidence that I uncovered. So it's my perception of what really happened based on what I found. Are these definitive? I hope not. I'm just standing on the shoulders of James Sprunt, Oh, I don't know. Uh, other local historian, uh, James G. Burr, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I hope somebody comes along behind me and continues to research these stories and find out, you know, even more. Exactly. Well, we I mean, that's know. what you're doing. You're being able to to dig deeper into stories that existed in a form before, 
And, you know, if the cycle continues, somebody else can come along with new technology neither of us have dreamed of before right. and maybe learn some more stuff. But there are a handful in here, as I mentioned, uh, in in Curious Tales, you get uh, Samuel Jocelyn, you get Fanny and Jenny, you get Rose O'Neill Greenhouse, you get uh, Ellerbrock and uh, and Boss, and then you get, obviously, uh, our, as you call it, the, the lower Cape Fear's most famous ghost story, Mako Light, which we've also talked about. Doing this book, did you, you know, did you scratch the itch or do you want to do more, maybe do uh, a second volume of this? I'd like to do a series of these stories. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm already contemplating a second volume called More Curious Tales uh, that will include uh, the story of Nance Martin, the young girl who um, was buried, allegedly buried in a cask of alcohol in Oakdale Cemetery, and there's one like the Ellerbrock grave, one of the most visited graves in historic historic Oakdale Cemetery. So I'd like to make an entire series, and there are lots of stories. Money Island. Money Island is a great one. uh, Would be a really good one. Well, and it's funny you say... Uh, The the Great Escape, as I call it. Uh, William Benjamin Gould, Mm -hmm. uh, the slave who helped build the Bellamy Mansion, and was able to make his way to freedom during the height of the yellow fever epidemic in 1862. There's just so many great stories. As you said, more curious tales. There's always more. I always joke with people that my list of uh, topics for this show is growing longer than it is shorter. And when when I knock one off, I add five. And so um, there's a lot to, to dig in here. Where can people find Curious Tales of Old Wilmington? Well, they can always go to my website, www.chrisfonville.com. Slowly but surely, well, not slowly, but as quickly as I can, um, I'm distributing them in local outlets. Buy them at uh, uh, Old Books on Front Street in the Bellamy Mansion and um, the Federal Point Historic Preservation Society Center at Carolina Beach and uh, Island Tackling Hardware. So we're trying to get them out there as, as much as we can. Absolutely. Um, you know, this one, it hits on such hallmarks that even if you've heard some of us, uh, you know, some of the people that we've had on the show talk about some of these, uh, you've done a great job at not only bringing some new evidence, some new insight to it, but um, for people who are visual learners, there's some great pictures in here of Rose Greenhow and even an underwater look at the Fanny and Jenny. And so it's a great book. And I'm excited that you finally got to kind of bring Ellerbrock back to the show because that first episode with Nancy. I think Samuel it was, Jocelyn. It, it was, well, the, the Samuel Jocelyn, but when we did the Nancy Martin episode, um, which was about midway through the first season of the show in 2018, we had a, a very quick conversation about Ellerbrock. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been one that people have asked for an episode on. So I hope we finally did him and boss justice. But Chris, thank you for coming back. You're going to be back soon to talk about the Battle of Forks Road, which you have been a leading voice on getting that story out. Uh, But until then, everyone should pick up a copy of Curious Tales from Old Wilmington and the Lower Cape Fear, The Truth Behind the Legends. There's several places you can get it. Um, If you follow us on Facebook, I'll share the links to all those places. And get your own copy. Um, and if nothing else, I'm incredibly proud that uh, I get to be included in a little piece of it on the back cover. So uh, thanks for letting me be part of it that way. Well, of course I was going to include <laughs> you because, as I said, you were the impetus in large part for this book. And uh, the historical community really owes you a great debt because you have become the voice uh, more than any of us uh, of the local history community and bringing us all together. 
and uh, we really thank you very much. Well, thank you, and um, I'm glad we could have a full circle moment. If, if I helped you bring this to fruition, then we get to have our first episode of 2021, uh, us talking about it. So thank you so much, Chris, and we will see you soon. Look forward to it, Hunter. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and the story of Captain Ellerbrock and Boss the Dog. Thank you so much for joining me. And a special thank you to Chris for coming on the show to chat with us about his new book. Remember, you can pick up a copy at local bookstores or at chrisfonville.com. We'll be back soon with the next chapter from our local history book. Until then, please make sure that you're a member of our Facebook group, where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their own memories of the region's history. In that group, I post extra content for each of our episodes and all of my coverage of local history for the Star News. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. If you have episode ideas or questions about the show, you can also email me directly at capefearunearthed at gmail.com. And don't forget to sign up for the Cape Fear Unearthed newsletter, which goes out every Thursday. Sign up for that newsletter at starnewsonline.com slash newsletters. As always, you can get a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes of each episode. Cape Fear Unearthed is written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Hunter underscore Wesley. Additional editing for the show is done by Adam Fish. This podcast is made possible by listeners and readers like you. Support local journalism and Cape Fear Unearthed by subscribing to the Star News today at starnewsonline.com. And while you're subscribing to things, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get the show so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review which will help more people find Cape Fear Unearthed. Until next time, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. You never know what you might unearth.